Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 138 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Drink Red Bull! <laughs> yeah, other energy drinks are available. Uh, not to me, they're not, I'm afraid, Mitch, because I'm sitting here drinking a frosty cold glass of Red Bull and my heart is thrumming away like a hummingbird's. It is the only energy drink that exists in the world of Snakes on a Plane. Which is just as well, considering that that is the film that you've chosen. <laughs> yes, it's Andy versus Mitch time this month. Uh, slightly earlier than scheduled, but what can you do? Um, I have chosen Snakes on a Plane, partially because I loved it when I first saw it, mm-hmm. um, and partially because it just arrived on Netflix this week, and it's a very convenient way for everyone to get caught up with it before the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gotta say, straight off the bat, Mitch, this might be your finest moment. I've said that. With more increasing regularity, I think. Yeah, I think that my last couple of choices have been less disastrous than some of the others. But I think also I have kind of cheated in the fact that this film is quite generally well-liked. I just spotted the opportunity for a conversation that I thought that might be quite fun. That said, I do think there's stuff in here that hasn't aged particularly well. Yeah, I actually expected there would be more of that, but we'll get to it. I think the film's biggest failing straight off the bat, by the way, before we even get into it, is the fact that the CG at times looks incredibly dated. Oh, God, absolutely. So now that we've got that unpleasantness out of the way, we can focus on the good parts of this film, which is all of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I have picked Snakes on a Plane from 2006, directed by the late David R. Ellis. Mm, Very sad indeed, yeah. Yeah, um, I kind of had a wee dig into uh, his career, uh, just out of curiosity, because I've never really contextualised this. And he directed Final Destination 2 and The Final Destination, so uh, Mm. got that franchise both very right and very wrong. Yeah, and then uh, passed away not long after he made Sharp Knight. Yeah, that's right. Played his trade largely as a second unit director. Yeah. Um, on stuff like Waterworld, The Devil's Zone, The Negotiator, like a very specific type of 90s thriller. It's weird that he went from doing things like that to doing these very kind of schlocky, cheesy, kind of decently budgeted, weird monster and genre films. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And like the scope of his second unit stuff widened out a fair bit as things went on. He took on like Matrix sequels and Mm -hmm. then did a Harry Potter film and stuff like that. But yeah, directed Snakes on a Plane, which is what we're here to talk about, with a titanic budget of $33 million, by the way. It's pretty big. That's got to be up there with some of the highest budgets we've ever had. Obviously, we've dealt with things like Armageddon, which is a different level of budget. Yeah, but I think that within the general sphere of the because this this fits pretty well with the format of the show, I think. And if you're talking about things that are a comfortable fit, I would say it's got to be in the top ten budgets for sure. Uh, by the way, on Netflix, this comes up under goofy films. I don't know, like it's certainly like irreverent, and it's certainly quite silly. I don't know if I necessarily think that goofy is the right word. I think it's quite goofy. <laughs> okay, I do. So before we get really cracking and into the meat of this, Mitch, let me ask you a question that you generally ask everybody else who comes on the show. Mm-hmm. What is your kind of original exposure to Snakes on a Plane? When did you first see it? Did you see it in the cinema? Tell me, tell me a little bit about how we've come to this point. Um, I did see it in the cinema, actually. I remember that the trailer, the original trailer for this came out. Um, which, by the way, is well worth seeking out. It's really interesting, considering what happened with this film, marketing-wise, sure. after. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's played very much as a straight horror film. But there was this comedy website that I was obsessed with around the, uh, around this time, uh, jpinkerton.com, which doesn't exist anymore. But it was just this writer who basically just blogged and wrote really funny stuff. And he did this kind of, like, scene-by-scene breakdown of this trailer for Snakes on a Plane. And it was really funny, but that, that was the point where I was like, oh, this looks like good value, I have to see this. Mm-hmm. So I started talking about it to a couple of people who thought that it sounded like the stupidest thing ever, which it is, but it's kind of the point. Yep. Um, and like, but eventually, so I, I spoke about this for a little while and nobody really seemed that interested in it. And then eventually somebody, one of my friends from home messaged me years ago, of like 2006 when this came out, saying they were talking about Snakes on a Plane on Radio 1, when are we going to see it? I ended up seeing this in the cinema in a group of about 10. Right. And it's probably like, it was years later before I would start going to festivals, but it's probably the closest that I had for a long time to a festival-like cinema-going experience. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's kind of similar to my experience with Snakes on a Plane, because I, I also saw it in the cinema. I was like in my mid-twenties, so I was very aware of the slow hype that grew to like this mad fever pitch just based on the slightly more adult trailer. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of a no-brainer, and I think there was six of us went to the cinema, my brother was there, and a couple other people, and uh, we really went in hard on the the kind of experience like one of the guys in his house had like this kind of big massive snake draft excluder thing okay and he took that with him we had like rubber snakes loads of them and a girl uh, one of the girls in the group amanda she had um airplanes like sewn onto the epaulets of her jacket and stuff like that so we really at first we thought oh we've gone too far here and we walked in and it was honestly it was the closest i can imagine to the atmosphere like at the start of scream 2 for stab mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a good comparison i'm actually like i'm kind of hoping that the fact that this is now on netflix will give us the chance to kind of become the cult film that i feel like it was always destined to become but never quite has yeah <laughs> maybe it will maybe it'll find uh, a, a broader younger audience who will embrace it in the way that we all did in 2006 and then no one really did since well i mean yeah this is kind of an interesting thing because the story of it feels quite contemporary in the sense that like this was like i say originally marketed played way straighter and this went from kind of like it became this kind of a viral sensation and then obviously that line I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane that he shouts at the end that wasn't there in the original I mean like after the kind of internet blew up about it there were five days of reshoots yeah that's right. To kind of yeah. lean in to like the internet humor and the exagger and like the caricature stuff that had been played up with that, which feels way more like something that would happen now. Yeah, and that pushed it from a PG thirteen to an R, I believe, as well. Oh, did it? I quite believe that. Yeah, yeah. like I'm because it's like because you're very much in B movie territory here, like extraordinarily inflated budget B movie. Absolutely. Yeah. But like, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, and I think it's great. And also, I think that if this came out in twenty twenty one, this cast list would read like an ensemble cast. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick look at the cast before we get into the the, the story proper. You've got mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson in here. You don't need me telling you that. Yep. Uh, Nathan Phillips from Wolf Creek in here, struggling a little bit to balance his native Australian accent and his American accent. Fair. Juliana yep. Margulies from ER is in here. Yeah, she's she's the good wife as well, isn't she? She is, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel Blanchard. Uh, Bobby Cannavale obviously went on to be kind of massive, uh, mostly as playing grizzled mafioso, but like... Um, but... Loki MVP of this whole film, Bobby He's Cannavale. brilliant. He's brilliant. And like, obviously, this this came out, and I haven't seen this in a long time. I was revisiting this probably for the first time in about 10 years when I watched it tonight. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Cannavale, I remember when I realised, because I'd read the cast list, and I was like, oh, fuck, Bobby Cannavale's in this. And obviously, like I said, I didn't know who he was at the time. When I started watching it back tonight, I was like, oh, I remember thinking this guy was the best guy in it. And then 15 years later, I was like, oh, this is still true. Yeah. Uh, Keenan Thompson, who, aside from Keenan and Kel, is now, I believe, the longest running member of the Saturday Night Live cast. Oh, okay. Yeah, I quite believe that. Also, horror royalty now. Again, before she went on to kind of have this um, amazing career second act as this franchise figurehead in Insidious, you've got uh, Lynn Shea here as Grace. Yep. Uh, David Koechner, who's in everything. Yeah, uh, Possibly best known as uh, Champ Kind and Anchorman. Absolutely. And Elsa Pataki, who's in Beyond Reanimator, in here as well as the lady with the baby. Yeah, like the, the cast in this is, uh, is insane, really. But a lot of things about this smack of something that wouldn't happen now. Like, like, I don't think that you can make a film this ridiculous on this scale in 2021, but that's kind of part of the fun of going back to it, I think. Cool. Well, we're about to get into it now, so you know what that means, Mitch. I think I do. I've donned my robes. I have <laughs> lifted up my sundial and i've got time okay are you I ready to I, receive some time i think that i am ready to give a 30 second synopsis i'm not gonna lie if i first i somehow despite the fact that i am the person who asks that question and introduces this every single time when it's me i do sometimes forget and i did forget this time but okay okay yep <laughs> lovely three two one give me some snakes okay so uh sean is a carefree motorcyclist in Hawaii who witnesses a guy being executed by Eddie Kim, a mafia guy. Samuel L. Jackson saves him from being killed by the mafia guys or the gang guys, um, and he flies him on a plane to LA to testify against him. However, Eddie Kim knows that he's on the plane and has filled them full of, the plane full of snakes, which have uh, been turned aggressive by pheromones and are attacking everybody. It is up to Samuel L. Jackson and a ragtag mixture of first class and coach Time. passengers. To save the day. Okay. Oh, that was okay. Um, so yeah, Snakes on a Plane, of course, originally called Venom, then got the name Snakes on a Plane, and then became Pacific Air Flight 121, which is an awful title. Yeah, and then um, Samuel L. Jackson's clout uh, forced the script back to Snakes on a Plane, because that was the chief reason that he took the job. Yes, I believe that he accepted it before he'd read the script um, on the strength of the title, so he was like, don't take the title away or I go. <laughs> 
uh, which I just love, actually. Um, but we do start in kind of very gentle territory, to be fair. We're flying over sunny climbs. Music plays that I was astonished to learn wasn't Jack Johnson. <laughs> sure, sure. But because it's a kind of tropical slow guitar. Yeah, like everyone's having a nice time and it's faintly Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah. like, um, uh, but it's Donovan Frankenwriter, apparently. But yeah, um, Sean is the first character that we meet here. Not a care in the world on his wee motorcycle, if only he'd known. Yeah, it's quite. A, he's having quite a nice day. A great day, in fact, you would say. Lots of fun, slow-mo motorbiking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, not a care in the now, world. I don't know like. if it was filmed like that or if he was just driving slowly, taking in the sights. Perhaps, you know, and like and like, like I say, I mean, like, he's having such a good day that you wouldn't be surprised if a little cartoon bird landed on his shoulder. <laughs> As it happens, it's not a cartoon bird that lands on his shoulder. Rather, it is a man who has been hung upside down as if he's been caught by the predator. <laughs> At this point, we yeah. don't know who that man is, but he has interrupted Sean drinking another delicious can of Red Bull. It yes, gives you first... wings. <laughs> Yeah, the first can of Red Bull with the logo facing out of many that we see um, as he finishes working on his motorbike while wearing his Kawasaki shirt. Sure, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that in here. I noticed a few bottles of San Pellegrino as well later. Oh, did you? Good spot. I didn't see that. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is a product placement heavy film for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yes, you're right. We have, um, we have a man, an as yet hitherto unidentified man, upside down, who is beaten to death with a baseball bat by cream suit enthusiast and crime lord Eddie Kim. Eddie Kim? I'm also a fan of exposition. In case we're wondering for too long who this upside down man is, Eddie Kim is going to tell us everything we need to know. Uh, yes, uh-huh. he, 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 does, he does manage, considering he's got like a sum total of about a minute of screen time here, he does cram a lot of stuff in here. I would also wager that this film could be considered extremely damning evidence, aside from the fact that we see him killing this guy, this prosecutor. That's damning in and of itself, but the stuff that he's saying is quite incriminating up to that point. Yeah, yeah. By the way, also, horrible this. I hate seeing people getting beat with baseball bats. Yeah, it's unpleasant. And I actually think that it's to its credit that it happens off camera and you're still like, ah! Yeah, Eddie Kim also tells his like underlings to clean all this up. But he is covered from head to toe in blood. Yeah, he doesn't have his troubles to seek in terms of uh, being discreet. Also, you wouldn't wear that to go out and batter somebody's brains in with a baseball bat. Come on, like, just... that, that suits for the bin now. Yeah, it does feel like a little bit of a week one, day one slip up, doesn't it? Yeah, either that or he was just caught in the moment. However, Sean, um, rather than just like running like fuck, watches the entire thing from 10 feet away in a nearby bush. Also, could have just stayed where he is and be fine because no one knew he was there. But he very quickly makes the decision to jump on his motorcycle. Famously discreet getaway vehicles. Yeah. And yes, unfortunately for Sean, he is kind of, his cards marked. Shortly before the gang descends on his flat the following day, he is watching kind of exposition news. And we find out, kind of already knew, of course, that the person that had been killed was a prosecutor against Eddie Mm. Kim. Uh, he is watching this on a TV that is flanked by literal crates of Red Bull. Yeah, this guy, I'm, I'm really worried about this guy's heart. Absolutely, yeah. The, the combination of uh, his overpowering energy drink addiction and also his thrill-seeking lifestyle. Not to mention the fact that his adrenaline must be through the roof now that he knows he's a man targeted by Asian hit squads. Yeah, <laughs> A day of extreme sports energy drinks and witnessing gangland executions <laughs> would take a fair toll on your heart, I think. Samuel L. Jackson to the rescue here. Yeah, uh, Agent Neville Flynn, FBI. Yes, yes. Let's call him Agent Neville Flynn for the first and last time here. Are we just going to stick to Jackson, Sam, Samuel? I alternate between those things in my notes. I didn't write Neville a single other time. I did. I, I wrote variations. I think once I even called him Nev. Oh, lovely. Like That's very affectionate. He kind of like rescues him, saves him, drives him off in his car, explains the situation. It's worth mentioning that it was a can of Red Bull that brought him to this door. They they found the can of Red Bull there and were able to identify Sean from that can of Red Bull. Yeah, because presumably if you follow him around for a day, he'll just leave a trail of discarded Red Bull cans that you can just follow back to his flat like Hansel and Grill. <laughs> Just follow the smell. It's such a pervasive fucking smell. This is very true. Uh, but I do love the fact this is. I think that this might be the last piece of Red Bull product placement. But yeah, when he's getting questioned and the guy just throws the evidence bag on the table and the evidence is just one can of Red Bull logo facing the camera. <laughs> However, we do understand from this exchange that time is short and he does need to fly to LA post haste to testify against Eddie Kim. That's right. Yeah, five hour flight from. I believe Honolulu to Los Angeles. Yes, that's right, Honolulu to LAX. Um, we get an exterior shot of the Honolulu airport and the white zone is for uh, immediate loading thing can't make me not think of airplane. Sure. <laughs> but yes, it is time for some, I think possibly some of the most rapid and most plentiful character introductions. 
I any film that we've done. agree with that. I also think that perhaps we're introduced to too many characters and it becomes a bit of a, a slog. Yeah, it's a little bit of a mismatch. I actually, I, it occurred to me as I was trying to write it all down. But very quickly, we've got Juliana Margulies here. She plays Claire with her colleague Tiffany. They are both flight attendants. Claire is like the flight attendant equivalent of the grizzled detective that's two days from retirement. Yeah, we also have Grace, played by Lynn Shea. Uh, she's kind of the, I guess, the, the old dog in the team. Yeah, she's the veteran of the circuit. Yeah, and we, we have the, the guy whose name totally escapes my, me here, the, the super camp guy, uh, who gets the little joke at the end, I suppose, the final joke. Oh, yeah, that's like, yeah, we can t- talk about kind of like things that you're just a bit like, uh, now. Yeah. We yeah, also meet a germaphobic rap artist, 3Gs. Yes, played by Flex Alexander, which I think possibly dates this film more than anything else does. Flex, really? Flex was the star of like a couple of like short running American sitcoms that had like a little bit of a moment in the sun. Like he was he was kind of having a moment around this time of a certain level. I'm more thinking about his name and how it irks me. It's short for Flex Word. <laughs> Flex Smithy. Um he has got two right hand men. Uh, three G's. Uh, one Troy, played by Keenan Thompson, and Big Leroy, who is considerably further down the credits. Both very funny. Yeah, uh, some of the, some of their banter kind of makes up some of the best. In fact, these three make yeah. up a lot of the funniest stuff that's going on in here. Um, Rachel Blanchard here is Mercedes Harbont. <laughs> I just uh, wrote her down as woman with dog. <laughs> uh, it's Mercedes Harbont, who I think is obviously supposed to be like, kind of like a Paris Hilton type character. Yeah, she's this kind of vapid it girl or wannabe it girl who has yeah. a chihuahua with her did see socialite with dog in bag oh the dog's also called mary kate which i thought was quite funny yeah kind of timely uh the, the dog may as well be called snake food goner absolute goner so the fbi have commandeered first class in this plane which sets clear up for a shitty final flight mm, yeah we get our first introduction here as well to the guy that i've only written down as stuffy man oh the 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 the, the british guy yeah who's an uh, absolute fucking cock he is hilarious. He's like so like like that guy. I didn't get his name either. Actually, I've just I've got him as Stuffy Brett. Sure. Um, he's immediately just like, he just resents every the minute that he's busted down from because obviously we understand that FBI have commandeered first class, so everybody that's in first class is busted down to coach. Um, the minute this, this happens to him, everybody else kind of takes it with a requisite level of good humor. I think it's quite funny when um, Mercedes asks, is it safe there? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that made me laugh. But yeah, he immediately just resents everybody else in there for existing. Do you think they would fly, uh, Sean, commercially, given they know how dangerous Eddie Kim is? I'm not sure how many law officials we have that listen to us, but maybe somebody out there could shed some light on that. It seems it seems risky to me. Yeah, if we have like a legal equivalent of Dr. Lauren out there, that'd be curious mm. to know. I'd like to, at this point, point out that I have a law degree. <laughs> but I'm not uh, taking up that position. Yeah, ah, yes, yeah, your famous law degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, Dave Kickner here as well as uh, the captain, Rick. Yeah, or got the pilot. The co-pilot. Co-pilot. Yeah, the co-pilot. Rick, the yeah. captain guy. He plays the dad in Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, cool! I would never have remembered mm, that. That's about burned that film from my memory. All I know about that guy. That's about all I can remember. But David Kickner here, very much just playing him and everything he's ever been in. Also, like kind of like with an extra streak of kind of like misogyny and grossness, I would say. Yeah, but that, that's. I mean, if you've seen The Office, that's just standard for him. That's kind of par for the course. Now, he is a guy to me who almost feels a little bit one note in almost everything he's in now because he's kind yeah, of typecast that's true and it's difficult to tell if that's necessarily his fault and if it's just because he's very good at that one thing and that's what he keeps getting he does have a couple of moments in here where he's almost given a chance to kind of redeem himself and this kind of very slight hero arc but he kind of squanders it all again by being an insufferable awful bastard yeah I, I, that's actually like a really interesting thing I think there's a couple of times where he's given like very obvious paths to redemption and the film just doesn't have him take them mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a curious choice. However, big important shit going on as everyone kind of boards the plane. Everyone, because they're flying from Honolulu, presumably, I don't know if this is standard or not. I've never been to Hawaii. I've never flown there. But everyone who's going on the plane gets given a lay. I would feel that would be something you would be given more upon arrival in Hawaii. In departure. Yes, I. I think that, that I think that that's fair. But um, but yes, everyone is given a lay to wear uh, on the plane. Which, if you're from Hawaii, must just be really particularly weird. But um, bring it on from home. Surely you've all got one. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Naturally. Yeah. What we don't know, or what they don't know, at least at this point, is that uh, the lays have been sprayed with pheromones to make the snakes go fucking crazy. To quote exposition crime guy who is doing it. 
and and kind of just saying this in a walkie-talkie. So the snakes are in a big box on the plane with a time delay lock on it. That's right. Uh, mm. Nobody asking any questions whatsoever about what that giant digital readout is counting down to. Yeah, but they've scanned the plane. They're fairly sure that there's nothing too dangerous on there. But we learn later that because snakes are cold-blooded that they didn't show up in the scans... Again, I don't think that is how things work. I um, had mentioned to, that we were doing this film to um, a snake expert, or at least <laughs> someone who knows a lot more about snakes than I do. I think, Mitch, what you're talking about there is a herpetologist. Um, who advised that um, the mixed vernaculars in this film between poison and venom yes. is apparently incredibly irksome. It's the equivalent of making a film called Halloween and getting the date wrong. Yeah, there's uh, they, they refer to snakes as poisonous with uh, alarming regularity when they are, in fact, venomous. They use those terms interchangeably. Yep, when you shouldn't. And we won't. Uh, we should use venomous. We should use venomous, yes, uh, as it relates to snakes. Yeah, we are going to be more biologically accurate on this film. See, I was going to pull some snake facts together, but then I realised I had kind of done that before, I think, on a previous episode on Anaconda. Quick side note, this film, when it was filming, was slated as Anaconda 4. Oh, I had a feeling that was going to be what you were going to say. I didn't know that, but yeah, that would make sense. In fact, God, this would be a great entry into the Anaconda franchise. Uh, no, I think it's fine as it is. I don't want it tarred with that shit brush. After that first film, it's pretty downhill from there. Yes, yes, as we've learned to our detriment. Can I just talk about the next scene here? Because we get to join Eddie Kim uh, as he's working out in his dojo. Yeah, I don't understand this. Right, so they, they said they had three teams on Eddie Kim. Yeah. How is he practicing martial arts in a dojo surrounded by henchmen? Well, they're not they're not going to rush in on him at this point. They've got to get... I think part of the, the thing they want to do is make sure that Sean arrives safely... And then once he's provided some evidence, then they'll, they'll swarm Eddie Kim and take him into custody. Right, so they're getting their ducks in a row for yeah. when they kind of have everything ready to go. Okay, I think okay. they're running surveillance into the to the untrained eye or just, just as to someone peering in from the outside. Uh, it just looks like a guy practicing martial arts. What you really want is one of those big microphones, those big shotgun mics that you can hear things from a, a mile away, which does kind of undercut your top secret surveillance a little bit when you're dangling one of them at your car window. <laughs> <laughs> However, Eddie Kim says something here that I want to dig into a little bit. Absolutely, yes, yes. In the midst of all this, he's discussing the plan. He obviously knows what's afoot because he's been the, the mastermind behind this, the kind of orchestrator of the plan to set all these snakes loose upon this plane. Uh -huh. now, yeah, he yeah. says a line to the effect of, don't you think we exhausted every other option? Now, I don't <laughs> believe that for a single solitary minute. <laughs> I refuse to believe that they ran th they ran the gamut of ways to kill people, right? That include bullets, bombs, traditional poisonings. Yep. Stabbings. Yep. Knives, knives, yeah, yeah. Just strangulation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Acid so, baths. There's many ways to kill people, and there's got to be easier ways to bring down a plane, right? If that is what you want to do, wipe your evidence kind of off the map in one fell swoop. I refuse to believe that this was top 20, on the list. This was something that some coked up henchman mumbled under his breath and Eddie Kim thought was a great idea. Yeah, hard agree. Like I th I think that that's I think that, that you're onto something there. Because yeah, I refuse to believe that it's like, well, all our best stabbers, shooters and garotters didn't work, so let's fill this plane full of venomous snakes and see how that pans out. Let's but, see if they meet with an accident. Basically um, what I'm saying is it's a terrible plan. It is a bad plan. Yeah, it really is a bad plan. It certainly leaves an awful lot to chance. Meanwhile, an army guy dispatches his two child sons onto this plane for a solo flight over to meet their mom in LA. Right. I am not invested whatsoever in how things turn out for these children, but I do suspect I'll be seeing a lot of them. I just want to say that I hadn't seen this film in like 10 years, so I was watching it with like relatively fresh eyes. Right, sure. So there was some things that I'd forgotten about. Mm. One of them was how much camera time these fucking kids were going to get. But I was like, and it's like, oh, here comes this kid. One of them is just old enough to be stoic, and the other one's little and cute. It's like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah, not invested at all when I think it's turned out for them. But either way. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing I forgot about this film is the end credits, which we'll get to at the end. Oh, so fucking weird. But yeah, um, but uh, also another thing that I'd forgotten was that Mile High Club snake bite guy was Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also uh, completely forgot about the airplane shaggers. I forgot about Fear a Flying Guy, who rings a little bit too close to home to me, to be honest with you. Yes, I could imagine that that may have been slightly triggering stuff for you there. Yeah, yeah. The, this whole film, I mean, I'm not overly afraid of snakes, but just about everything else possible in this film terrifies the bejesus out of me. <laughs> 
This is the most frightening film we've done. I can imagine, yeah. Tiffany, the one of the flight attendants, goes digging for exposition from Sean, which is highly improper. Yeah, drops off a bottle of cold, sparkling San Pellegrino. Lovely, yeah. Um, <laughs> and engages in some absolutely shameless flotting. Speaking of which, 3Gs does this downstairs with Mercedes as well, during which exchange we find out that uh, his big hit is called Booty Go Thump, which is definitely a rap song title written by committee. Yeah, I, I kind of hoped that we would get to hear Booty Go Thump. I'm thinking like big like Lil John and the East Side Boys vibe to that song. Yeah, I was hoping for it to kind of round out proceedings much in the same way as LL Cool J's hat is like a shark's fin does at the end of Deep Blue Sea. Yes, yeah, perfect. Like something like that would have been great. No such luck. No. Um... However, in the in the cargo bay, if you like, the time release lock on the snakes has gone off. It is well and truly snake time. And at this point, the film kind of like it locks into a solid forty five minutes of absolute fucking chaos. At this point, yeah, my notes become very scattershot after this point. I think they're just I'm just writing down key points, key things, key deaths. Yeah, same. The first death is an off-camera death of a cat. But then, yeah, Taylor Kitsch and his girlfriend, Kelly. Again, uh, I've just got them down as mile-high fuckers. Well, yeah, the mile-high fuckers go to the bathroom to have sex, and uh, they start doing that. Sex in an airplane bathroom still looks like the worst thing ever, and that's before he gets bitten on the throat as he gets bit on the nipple by a snake. A lot of things going on in this toilet here. The man commits a federal crime by tampering with a smoke detector. They just told him not to do that. Yeah, they told him not to do that. He lights up a joint in an airplane, which seems, again, incredibly risky. Yes. Probably prosecutable. Yeah, and you know what? I'd imagine they'd make an example of him. And call me crazy, right? I, I can't ever see myself having sex on an airplane purely because I am rigidly clinging to it. Because yes, for dear life. I yeah. believe that staying awake and holding onto my chair with the force of a thousand gods is all that stops the plane from plummeting to the ground. Right? Sure, yes, of course. Yeah. But should I ever be taken over by... Amour and the desire to have sex on a plane. I don't imagine you take all your clothes off. I imagine it's very much for the men, you pull down the front and go over the top, and for the women, it's very much a pull those pants to the side scenario. You pull, you pull down the yeah, okay, the front and go over the top. Yes, okay, I've got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that was just needed to let I needed to let that percolate for a sec. But I'm with you. But yeah, like, I, I just think that this just like looks logistically horrific. It, like it just looks awful. But you're right. Yeah, I think that nudity probably feels a little bit excessive. But they get attacked by snakes, which is no more than they fucking deserve. Rather than trying to intervene, um, when they think that this couple are loudly shagging in the bathroom, Lin Shay and the other guy just muse about whether or not they're having a good time in there, kind of thing. Lin Shay obviously just gives no fucks at this point. No, she she firmly believes that it's just good old fucking, and to be honest it's probably nothing they haven't seen before up there I'm, I've read some stuff before by the way, can I just say, air stewards are fucking heroes. Just every possible thing that they do, they just come across pretty well, I think That's actually a really good point. Patience of a fucking saint at the best of times, specifically when your plane is awash, beset, festooned with snakes. Serpents Yeah <laughs> The snakes are uh, crafty fuckers. They sabotage the onboard uh, electricals. We lose avionics. We do. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like it's an accident more than a kind of predetermined action on the snake's part. I don't. Nah, I I think that the pheromones turn them into evil geniuses. Like, very, very conversant with the onboard electronics of a plane. But yeah, so this escalates this into a two story emergency, basically. Uh, More toilet based snake japes here um, as a man is bitten on the cock. (laughs) Um, This is very funny, I've got to be honest. Like, uh, almost inevitably, someone's bitten on the penis. Like, I mean, apart from the fact that I'm fairly certain it was in the trailer, like, it was nailed on that was going to happen. Yeah, see, when he. When he, take, when he enters the toilet and presumably takes his penis out to void it, yeah. uh, and he says, how's my big boy? Yeah, for fuck's sake. I, I was like, I hope a snake bites your cock off. <laughs> and I've never, and, you know, and it was a total instant karma, instant gratification for me that indeed a snake does bite his cock off. Um, yeah, when he, when he collapses against the back wall of the bathroom screaming, get off my dick, it did make me laugh, I must say. Amazing. Mercedes is too busy being chatted up by 3Gs to notice the uh, snake slithering into her bag. Mary Kate's card is marked. Yeah, sure. But meanwhile, while this is going on, uh, 3G uh, or 3Gs admonishes Troy for playing Chekhov's dated handheld device. Ah, but I, I presume much what you're talking about there is the Sony PSP. All yes. the power of a PlayStation in the palm of your hand. <laughs> Um, at this point, most of the passengers are taking this with the requisite level of good humour, but the captain is next to go. Scrappy affair, the captain is uh, is killed by yeah. uh, by snake bite. Dave Kickner, uh 
capable pilot, less proficient doctor, overlooks the massive bite mark on him and sure. diagnoses heart attack. Yeah, I would uh, like at this point, Mitch, for you not to say dies of snake bite to everyone who dies in this film because that's going to get tiresome. It's very heavily implied. It's not going to be like the three of them die from snake attacks, the rest of them from coincidental natural causes. Uh, Dave Keckner also eulogizes about his dead colleague. I, there's a lot of this. See, like, I flew mm. with him for 10 years, and then you've got Claire being like, oh, this is my last flight. And then Lynn Shea's character is like, oh, this old broad needed one more trip and everything. Like, yeah, even Sam Jackson's is... got that partner as well. Yeah, like it's, like, and it's like, oh, he's been my partner for X amount of years and it's cost us both of our marriages and stuff. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man, like like not everyone had to be having like some kind of final flight on this. Like yeah. it really does beat you to death with that and none of it really lands in terms of like hitting emotional notes because yeah, that's ma- not what this film's really set out to be. They should marry each other like. and share their enormous police pensions. Definitely. And of course, all the consequences of the massively destructive trauma that they've endured together. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, the snakes dropping with the oxygen masks is to this day absolute genius. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Uh, I love it as a visual. I love the immediate chaos. There's literally a snake with every oxygen mask when they drop down, and it's so, so good. But it's, it's not just that as well. It's like a coordinated moment because all the snakes drop from the ceiling, and then the snakes that have kind of made their way into every possible area of the plane just start popping out like in, in kind of synchronized motion. Like You get that one woman who's about to throw up because of the turbulence and... The snake comes out the sick bag into her mouth, and then you get the the overweight lady. The snake bites her in the eyeball out of her back. Like it comes up like out of her top. Ah, uh-huh. it's it is. It's great. It's like it's like it's like I say. I think that like we're entering a part here where it's kind of like it's solid chaos for a decent chunk of time, mm. but there are so many good individual moments in it. And some really nasty stuff, like, just coming up, there's the bit where the guy falls in the kind of rush and someone in the high heels stands in his ear and, like, snaps the heel off in his ear. Horrible. 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 Yeah, yeah like, what, like, underrated moment, actually, because it really lingers on it, like, and it's it's extremely unpleasant. I do think it's funny when um, Tiffany goes through to speak to Dave Keckner and she says, what's the deal with the oxygen masks deploying, which is the biggest oversimplification of a problem that I've ever heard. Yeah, also, this is literally your job. Like, figure it out. Like, you, you surely know the, the the various things that would cause that to happen, and few of them are good, to be honest. Did you notice around this time when the flight attendant guy kills a snake by putting it in the microwave, there is a snake setting on the microwave? I had that uh, written down to discuss. I also had that microwave... <laughs> <laughs> didn't, use, didn't really get the opportunity to use the button, sadly. Uh, I thought that was really funny. I've seen this film a few times and I'd never noticed that. A um, couple of times, though, what you do find is that pressing the snake button is exactly the amount of time and energy it takes to melt a piece of butter to the right level so that you can use it in baking. Oh. So there you go. That's convenient. Uh, the younger of the two kids is bitten in the struggle here. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Troy at this point, who is the hero of the piece for a bunch of reasons. But first here... Um, when they needed to get flexed, not flexed, three Gs, I guess, to the <laughs> other side of the plane, he just immediately snaps off a tray table and just starts whacking the fuck out of any snake that's in his way. I like that you you kind of backtracked from using the name Flex as if it was stupid, and then you called him three Gs. Yeah, I'm sorry, the first thing that I said was dumb. I think his name's Clarence. I believe he's referred to at one point as Clarence. All right, okay. Um, uh, at this point, Big Leroy is bitten on the ass by a snake, and everyone who is playing funny places a snake can bite you bingo shouts house. Yeah, I, I really like the fact that the rest of the film, my worry is for Big Leroy's ass, not for the kids that have been bitten. And certainly, I know you're not worried about the kids being bitten, Mitch. You're praying Fuck that em. one of them dies, because you, for you, that's a film stating its intent. Uh-huh. You want to show me your main business? Off a kid. Kill that fucking kid. Um, my least favourite type of jump scare in this is dead passengers falling out of places and popping up like haunted house attractions, which yeah. happens quite a lot in this bit. Yeah, yeah. This is a point where all the lights are off and the, the plane's very much plunged into darkness and Rachel Blanchard's kind of making her way through it and, like like you say, kind of scare actors are literally dropping out of every aisle and falling from the ceiling and it's just like, no... I don't, I don't buy that you guys would still be so active. You know, it's, it's, it's the only part that really took me out of the whole experience. <laughs> the only part that doesn't quite hang together. Yeah, it doesn't track, um, which is disappointing. As you mentioned earlier, Andy, um, Samuel L. Jackson's partner, John, dies. Mm, bitten right in the chest. Yeah, everyone is a bit sad about that for a few seconds because that's what happens when you introduce so many characters. You don't care about any of them. It's like uh, when basically everyone dies in this. I'm like, yeah, okay. I couldn't give a flying fuck about John dying. No, exactly. Like I say, there's so many characters stuffed into this that like when someone dies, you're like, yeah, there's still a lot of people here. Uh, what's happening now? I'm just sitting going the whole time, kill the British guy, kill the British guy, kill the British guy. 
at least you get a good bit of ceremony when that does happen. Um, Samuel L. Jackson gets on the phone to Bobby Cannavale at this point and somehow delivers the line, Eddie Kim somehow managed to fill this plane with poisonous snakes, which he didn't, they're venomous, uh, with a straight face. Yeah, also he's managed to tear Bobby Cannavale away from eBay long enough to get him actually up and moving and on this job. Because there's that amazing scene earlier where Bobby Cannavale's like, oh, I'm just uh, bidding with this kid for a black velvet poster of Pamela Anderson. Yeah, that was funny. I like, see, 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 like, I, I think that like the stuff that happens on the ground in this feels like the point where I thought that because obviously as this goes on, we can't we can't be on the plane the entire time. And as we move into the third act of this thing, there's a decent amount of it is spent on the ground. Yeah. Um, kind of watching what needs to happen to meet the plane when it lands. And I kind of remember thinking because I was when I sat down to watch this, I was like 105 minutes, really? Okay. Wow, yeah. Um. And I don't actually think that it really sags. And I, I remember when it gets to the point where, like, they're going to do all the stuff that we'll get to mm-hmm. in the in the kind of ground effort. Yeah, sure. For this, mm-hmm. that like when but when I was getting into that, I was like, um, I was like, oh, here we go. But it's actually all really quite engaging and really quite fun. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I think that um, Bobby Cannavale and later on Todd Luizzo are both really good in this. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Both strong. I didn't expect there to be, you know how in uh, possession films and haunted house films, I find it a bit weird when Hispanic housekeepers are always the ones to deliver the exposition mm-hmm. about how to defeat the demon. I didn't expect it to happen here well, with the snake bite. It's not so much that. What you, I guess what you have is uh, Elsa Pataki's character here. She is essentially, she she knows a thing or two about snake bites and she leaps into action pretty quickly to save that little boy Sorry, Mitch, she does get saved. And she not basically willing says, kids to die. I'm just saying it's a strong move when they do. Right, okay. <laughs> Mitch is purely whacking his papers off the table. Oh, for fuck's sake, he's gonna live. <laughs> at, that point, at that point, I threw my glass of whiskey across the room and it shattered <laughs> on the back wall. Yeah, but she she jumps into action immediately. She's like, this is what we have to do here. Um, I've seen a million snake bites. You need to bring me some olive oil and a jaggy, like a jagged earring. Good practical effect to the pus coming out of this wound. Horrible, horrible to this day. A horrible effect that, uh, that I found myself unsettled by even tonight. Yep, really squirmy, really good. Awful lot of time for that. So we do know, obviously then, that you can physically suck the poison from a wound. This could also happen to Leroy um, with his arse snake bite the guy the flight attendant offers offers to do it and Leroy insinuates that he'd rather die than have that procedure carried out on him by a man which seems like an extremely high price to pay to maintain his massive homophobia so help me god I would sit on that man's face like yeah whereas Leroy's like I'd sooner die a bigot than stumble from the wreckage of this plane a torrent enlightened alive man <laughs> he'd have a nice glossy ring of lip balm around his ass as well from where <laughs> Because you see earlier that, that air steward's put, like, applied lip balm. Like, that's kind of his thing early on in the film. Yeah, of course, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes, character introduction. Stephen Price, hardcore snake specialist, animal smuggling vigilante, friend of customs. This is Todd Luizzo, obviously best known, I would say, still as Ed from High Fidelity. Yeah. And in fact, and I say that because I don't recall seeing him in anything else between these two films. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that he's great in High Fidelity, and I think that he's really good here. Yeah, I, what I really like is the kind of interaction here when Bobby Cannavale's in the car with Price and they're on the phone to Flynn up in the plane. It's at this point where Samuel L. Jackson fully leans into being the layman uh, and kind of the avatar for the audience where he just kind of sits back. He has no knowledge about snakes at all by his own admission and he just lets the science man tell him and us everything that we need to know yeah I, and, and you know what like this this feels like having todd louise will be like oh the problem is that it's an ethnically diverse group of snakes which means that multiple different anti-venoms will all be needed and they'll take multiple days to arrive i was like i don't mind having that explained to me by todd louise the snake science guy like that's fine for me i enjoyed that far more than like when a cliff notes character pops up at the end of something like interstellar and deconstructs the entire film for you <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like, 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 like having just kind of like, it was like, oh, here is a base level of kind of like what is presumably fairly flimsy science knowledge that you need to understand the stakes and what needs to happen in the next bit of the film. I'm like, cool, fine, thanks, Todd Luizzo. Let's see what happens in the third act. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's brisk. And like I say, I think that like um the stuff in the car when Bobby Cannavale and uh, Todd Luizzo are trying to figure these things out, like watching them drive around talking to each other and all that kind of thing, and when they're up in the helicopter, super watchable. Absolutely no problem with any of it. Back up in the sky, however, it's uh. Rachel Blanchard's Blackberry to the rescue. I 
love this. So <laughs> yeah, like so Samuel L. Jackson. Like, this is just like the most 2006 thing uh, ever. Like Samuel L. Jackson's on the plane, being like, oh, he like grabs a snake and he's like trying to describe it over the phone to tell Louisa, being like, oh, it's brown on the bottom and uh, it's like blue. Oh, it's brown on the top and it's blue in the bottom. And he's like, oh, is it kind of a pure blue or is it kind of a blue green? And then she's like, oh, how about how about we take some pictures? And then like stuffy British guys like. Oh, that's a stupid idea, you stupid bitch, or whatever he says. <laughs> like, because he's, he's a dick to everyone. Um, and then she's like, my phone has email. And it's like, oh, her phone has email because she's a millionaire. <laughs> that British guy is an absolute fucking repellent piece of shit. It's, it's, he does have the best line ever, though, because... <laughs> later on when he's just kind of like in the same way that somebody would like indignantly complain about cold food he just like storms up to Claire and he's like why exactly are there snakes on this plane <laughs> he's such a fucking garden uh, <laughs> truly um, Lin Shay has been bitten in the struggle well she very selflessly runs out earlier in the film to rescue Elsa Pataki's baby, which is just sitting minding its own business in a fucking nest of snakes. I, yeah, that baby is poker-facing this snake infestation on this plane like a fucking champ, by the way. Planes are hard enough for babies, yeah. like, under normal circumstances. Like, this this baby is, like, for one thing, an absolute fucking Oscar winner, but also just, like, yeah, just in terms of just being able to absolutely deadpan what is for everyone else an enormous large-scale crisis. 10 out of 10. <laughs> You don't have context. Like, to, to a baby, a snake's just a funny drawing in a book, like a mad squiggle. This is very true, I suppose. Um, however, yeah, so prior to Lynch's death speech, though, stuffy British guy does die. He does, yeah. And uh, I, I think it's only right that he dies in this moment. Yes, and especially in such a protracted, horrible way. I shouldn't laugh, right? I know I shouldn't laugh, but Mary-Kate the dog does die, and it it's the way that the dog dies, man. When he just when he just like picks her up and lobs it to the snake. Oh, by the way, there's a giant fucking anaconda or python, one of those big constrictors on this plane for some reason that has no poison whatsoever, no venom, I should say, whatsoever. <laughs> so completely like anomalous snake to have wound up in amongst all these other ones. Yeah, apparently um, Wikipedia says that it's a Burmese python that eats the English guy, which apparently in real life would have a hard time eating a rabbit in this way. Lovely, lovely. But that's fine. It's a big old bit of snake, but yeah, it's, it, has, it seems to have the crushing and eating power of the titular anaconda from the, the film that we covered previously. Yes, and I don't think that we should get too bogged down in the science of this and just enjoy the fact that watching this character die is incredibly satisfying. Yeah, it crushes the blood out of his eyes and just, uh, yeah, yeah. And then commences swallowing him whole. Clearly that little dog didn't even tickle the sides when it went down that mouth. Absolutely nay. But um, yeah, I do like the fact that, like, because, you know, I mean, like, it is, because it's a horror trope. It's a trope in a lot of things. It's a trope in kind of dark thrillers as well that animals are going to die. I do like the fact that it just gives you this immediate karma. Like you see, like instant karma earlier, instant karma here, and it is quite satisfying. There's a lot of really cool effect stuff around about here as well that's just kind of incidental horrible things happening to people i think a guy falls on like a champagne flute and it yes. like, smashes into his neck another guy like the, the stairs collapse and he like falls on a strut and it impales him you're right it's like it's kind of like blinking you'll miss it practical stuff yeah it's like it's really like the stuff that he did and would do in the final destination films absolutely yeah like it's it's very much in, in that kind of like in that kind of vein isn't it yeah so after Lin Shay dies, and I'm not going to dwell on it too much, because, like, I mean, her character's fun and everything, but I didn't care when she died. Yeah, she, she just passes away silently as well. No pomp, no ceremony. Yeah, no, I suppose that's true. And like, But I think that, like, like I say, I think that one thing this film probably does suffer from is that it's overloaded with characters. Yeah, and I think it is good to start kind of thinning the herd a little bit. Yeah, I suppose that that's true. Um, at this point, also, there's some third-act drama or other about air conditioning. Like, somebody said something about air conditioning and about how if it's not, if the air's not circulating, it'll get harder to breathe. It's like, fine, whatever. You don't need to up the stakes anymore. There's already snakes and loads of dead people. We don't need to spend any time on this. But never a man afraid to kind of throw himself into any situation. Neville Flynn is down into that hold, flicking switches like an asshole who doesn't, like... <laughs> that would be, I mean, uh, he's the same. We already know he is exactly the same as me. He is a layman in a situation that he is not prepared for. The only difference being <laughs> that he is a trained FBI agent. He's not trained for this. Yeah, right? which, yeah which, which still which still crucially doesn't make him any better at any of this than you are no but he's down there looking at switches like and a massive fucking bank this is switches that 
that control various things of a Boeing 747, right? This isn't a fucking fuse box in your hallway in your house, right? This is an enormous technological masterpiece. This is a, an enormous tube that can stay in the sky. Yeah, a towering feat of engineering. You, without training, should not be pressing any fucking buttons on an airplane <laughs> if you don't know what to do. Yeah, very true. Some crucial events going on on the ground here. Dr. Price, Dudley Weasel's character, has kind of, by process of elimination, whittled back to how Eddie Kim has come to have such a range of, like, like such a complex range of snakes on this plane. Yeah, I don't know why it took him so long to get to this point, because there can't be many guys with this amount of snakes. It's not a masterclass in deduction, the way that you see it play out on the screen, because it's just like... So Eddie Kim lives in Hawaii, and it's like, yeah, but he doesn't get them from there because snakes aren't indigenous to Hawaii. And it's like, all right, cool. But it's like, but he lives in LA, and it's like, right, okay. So is there anybody? And it's like, oh yeah, there's this one guy that has an RV in the desert. It's probably him. And they're like, well, let's go to his house. And then like literally the next thing, they're just like within five minutes, they have a clipboard with a list of every snake on the plane. He doesn't have an RV. He is a massive fucking snake city. He is an enormous compound. <laughs> this reminds me of the plant nursery in the happening. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of scale, but yeah, like I love, but I love the fact that like um, when he just like put together this like massive dispatch of illegal snakes for this crime lord, when they're trying to interrogate this snake dealer to try and get this information from him, they're like, "How can we like like where's the list of snakes that are on the plane?" And he's obviously he's just like, "Oh, on that clipboard over there," you know, just like, "Oh, in our recent orders in my in tray." By the way, that guy must have been like. <laughs> I can I can finish early today when Eddie Kim came knocking at his door, man. But he's like, you how many? You want four hundred and fifty snakes? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could. No, no, no. You just want all of my snakes. You want my, my <laughs> well. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely took the rest of the day. Potentially the rest of the week off. I'm not entirely certain that Bobby Cannavale's interrogation method isn't in breach of protocol here, but it gets results. They have an itemized list of every snake that's on that plane now. Yeah. Which is very fortunate. However, on board, Dave Kuchner has now died. <laughs> I think it's uh, kind of foolhardy that they didn't check on him for so long. Uh, yes, I would suppose that that is... I suppose that's fair. Like, um, Because it's very much framed as being like, good news, everyone. Uh, we know exactly what we're dealing with. Uh, the anti-venoms are being assembled as we speak. Everything is going to be fine. We just need to land the plane. I will go and tell the pilot the good news. And then Claire opens the door and he's dead. <laughs> Which I think that if you are willing this film to be over, which I was not, I think it would be incredibly infuriating because I think that you would just want them to land the plane and that'd be that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And this is happening at the one hour and 27 minute mark in the film. Conceivably, it could have ended here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> However, yes, the pilot is dead. Someone has to land this plane. Troy steps up. Yeah, Troy. Keenan Thompson from Good Burger is yes. the man to land your plane. Yes, Keenan Thompson, best known for his work in Good Burger, steps up to land the plane. <laughs> so they basically say that he's had, like, they all, like, unironically are like, he's had more than 2,000 hours. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And it's only when he's in the cockpit actually sitting down talking to, like, the air traffic controllers on the ground that he mentions that it's on a flight simulator. However, he gets the job done. And I want to say, actually, as well, that, like, this film doesn't really have a lot of room for like actual comedic dialogue to breathe because so much of it mm -hmm. is just relentless action and like gore and things. And I think that when you have Samuel L. Jackson and Keenan Thompson at Troy in the cockpit here, it's super entertaining. I yeah. think I think it's really fun. Yeah, despite the seriousness of the situation, they have plenty of time for banter. It's good that, isn't it? <laughs> As, by the way, um, by this point in proceedings, we have blown past the greatest line in the film that elicited one of the loudest cheers I've ever heard in a cinema. We should maybe add the audio for this. Yeah, I'll just put the audio in, in case there's someone out there who doesn't know what we're talking about. Enough is enough! I have had with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! Everybody strap in! We're about to open some fucking windows. I think it made the, like, the list of the 100 greatest lines in cinema history. And to think it almost didn't make it. No. Because um, in the original trailer, that line is Samuel L. Jackson cocking a gun and plaintively saying, enough is enough. I've had it with these snakes. In that voice? 
not really like, like but kind of in that with that tone and cadence i, I think say. you should like, redub the trailer oh god could you imagine yeah but i play every character yeah. um <laughs> but yeah like uh this is like obviously this was added by committee this was a reshoot and it's like the most iconic line in the film it's the thing that everybody quotes it's the thing that's comfortably the most enduring part of this film's legacy i would agree i would agree um, but yeah, he also decides at this point that they're going to open some motherfucking windows, uh, and that basically means he's just going to shoot the plane to bits and force a massive explosive decompression. Yes, he blows a hole in the side of the plane with his gun, depressurizes the cabin, and hoovers out all of the snakes, and somehow almost no people. Um, I would contend that at this point, you are more likely to die from being hoovered out the side of a plane than by any snake bite you have received on the plane. Uh, yeah, I think it's a calculated risk, though, Mitch. <laughs> That's what it is. It's calculated risk. My mistake. I, yeah, actually, I wouldn't say there's anything calculated about anything that goes on in this film. It, it seems to be very much panicked people running upstairs and downstairs in an airplane. I also couldn't count on myself to be at my most rational um, in this situation. So I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to rag on anybody for the decisions they make in the There's going to come a point, like a day after this event, where Sandy Lil Jackson wakes up in a cold sweat, like, "What the fuck was I thinking? That was very dangerous." <laughs> Uh, I endangered many lives. <laughs> or the ones that were left. However, they do successfully land the plane, eventually. Yeah. Yeah, Troy, Troy, uh, Troy lands the plane, which is great. There is a small stinger here where uh, Sean is bitten as he like disembarks from the plane. Mm. He's fine because Kevlar vest. Yeah. Did you notice um, 3G's kind of gets his little redemptive arc a little bit when you, when you see him getting off the plane and he's carrying one of the kind of bloody snake-bitten children? Oh yeah, uh huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, fair play to him for that, I suppose. Yeah, um, the whole thing about the effeminate flight attendant having a wife and that being a joke is weird. Yeah, it is weird. Like at first, when you when you see him and he is playing, he is playing at super camp, and he makes the the comment about uh, I've got a girlfriend, and he kind of delivers it in this weird coquettish way. Like right away when you hear him make that joke in the first instance, you think, oh, I bet he does, and then that completely leaves your mind in amongst all the chaos. Yeah. And then when I, it comes think, back at the end, you're like, hmm, I'm not sure that lands. It's a weird thing to feel the need to pay off. I think that it's like, it, it, it feels very strange to me. However, most of this works, like, um, in the in the ending, you know, like, everybody gets off the plane, everybody's mostly fine, and uh, Sean and Samuel go on a bros holiday to Hawaii, and then the credits roll, and I think that you had some opinions about the credits. Just want to say one thing before we go. Yes? Check out those rip curl surfboards. <laughs> I should have seen that coming. <laughs> I don't yeah, even know if um, they were Rip Curl surfboards, uh, and I don't even know if Rip Curl makes surfboards. I think they do. But yeah, our closing credits here is Snakes on a Plane, brackets, bring it, or bring it, brackets, Snakes on a Plane, I forget. Yeah. Uh, by Cobra Starship, featuring uh, the singer from the Academy is uh, Travi McCoy from Gym Class Heroes and lead singer from The Sounds. And also a P- uh, featuring a visual cameo from Pete Wentz. Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy, yes. Um, so, obviously, yeah, this was... Obviously, the song Bring It, Bracket, Snakes on a Plane didn't exist before. Um, it was written for the film. It's the theme song for the film. Um, I cannot recall another instance where the closing credits... Obviously, it's natural for the theme to play over the closing credits. That's normal. Mm-hmm. What's not normal, to the best of my knowledge, is playing the music video. Yeah, weird. I do kind of get it, I suppose, but... Doesn't mean I like it. Well, I mean, like I already liked Cobra Starship when this came out, so like I like so like it was kind of part of my prior knowledge of the film was that they'd done that. Right. So it wasn't. I wasn't particularly like weird or alienating to me, but it wasn't like you know like they weren't Fall Out Boy at the time or anything like that. So it would be very understandable to anybody else when that happens to be like, who are these people? Yeah. So a very strange decision. I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, so would I. Not my favourite point in the film. It's a, it's, it's a weird choice, I must say. Um, but with that, we are out on Snakes on a Plane. I may have been guilty of opting for kind of low-hanging fruit here. I kind of know that everyone, or a lot of people at least, have a fair reserve of affection for this film. Yeah, I got to say, like, when you there was like a slight milliseconds hesitation when you suggested it, or when you picked it, but I thought, really? Snakes on a Plane? But then, almost as soon as that idea formed, it was kind of banished by the fact that I was like, yeah, motherfucking snakes on a plane, I haven't seen this in ages. Aye, it starts kind of flooding back to you when you start thinking about it, doesn't it? Yeah, and it totally fits the format. It's a daft genre movie full of daft snakes. It's no, It doesn't feel like an outlier when we've done things like Anaconda and Lake Placid and stuff like that. It's probably like more warmly received critically than some of those films. Yeah, and it but does like, have some genuinely gross, nasty little moments in it. I think that it gets a lot of stuff right. 
I think that like it leans into the ridiculousness in the right amount, and I think that it's interesting that that may have happened retrospectively, mm-hmm. like after the film was kind of air quotes done. But I'm not going to split hairs when the end result's effective. But like I say, performance-wise, I think that there's a lot of decent stuff going on here, considering how silly the film is. I think that Keenan Thompson is good in this in terms of like comic timing and stuff like that. I think Rachel Blanchard's doing pretty good. Samuel L. Jackson's really good. Um, like I say, I think that my MVPs are probably Bobby Cannavale and Todd Rizzo. Yeah. But Lin is good. Like, I think, like, there's a lot of kind of like strong character actor kind of performances in this. Agreed, yeah. And I think where it does kind of fall down, and it's more a time issue than anything else, is the, the CGI is a bit ropey. I mean, there were 450 real snakes used in this film, but I think a lot of times it was just easier to use digital. Yeah, I think for like some of your kind of like big kind of box office moments, it kind of had to be CG yeah. and it doesn't hold up. I don't imagine that it looked great at the time, to be honest. No. Um, but yeah, it, it feels kind of forgivable, I think. like Also, I think because of the fact that there's actually also some kind of like, I think it's offset a little bit by the fact that there's some fairly solid practical stuff in there as well. Yeah, and it, you know, the whole thing overall is just generally fun, dumb experience. Like It doesn't tax the brain, it's just one of those kind of... If you can commit to getting on the ride that is a film called Snakes on a Plane, you can't really be disappointed by the end product massively, Like because if you look at films like Sharknado, right, which had massive impact, and its subsequent sequels, which became this kind of annual event almost mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah snakes on a plane is far more accomplished and far to be honest a far more enjoyable experience than the sharknado movies or anything like that so i uh, i do think it has a lot to commend and to be honest i prefer it to anaconda don't mind telling Ooh. you don't mind telling i mean like i i do as well but this film's kind of been like this this film was like in my dna long before i ended up being a horror fan actually right maybe i should start mentioning it more in the formative films conversations to make me sound like a scholar wow um, in relative terms uh, but yeah no um i i had fun revisiting this i'm glad you did as well yeah don't mind telling you great great choice thanks um oh, that's nice to hear far, i'd say far and away the best david r ellis film you could have picked i think that you're probably right to be honest i don't think that anybody really wants to have a conversation about shark knight final destination isn't good final destination is too good and homeward bound 2 lost in san francisco doesn't fit the format i don't know i get a bit worried during that what if they don't get home my sister loved those songs from where we however tangents aside we are done for another one of these yeah wow can we have a guest next week i certainly hope so wheels are turning it's looking pretty good i would say there's like a 70 80 percent chance we'll have a guest next week <laughs> smash feeling pretty good about it um if you want to get in touch talk to us about snakes on a plane or anything else then loads of ways you can do that we prefer that it's podcast related but you know we can give advice on stuff if you want advice from two shambolic humans like me and mitch then by yeah. all means ask yeah yeah, like oh yeah, yeah, like we're not we're not well placed to give advice, but we'll try if you ask. Um, but yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram are strong language violent scenes. You can tweet us as well at strong violent PC. You can email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com and you can join the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chudlocker. Fair few new people popping up in there as well over the last couple of weeks, so big thank you to all you there as well. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to engage on the Chudlocker. I know I don't see it, but I do hear about it. So it doesn't go unnoticed and it doesn't go unappreciated by me. Excellent. Andy, Yeah. there are myriad ways that people can support the show. Let's talk about those for a minute. Yeah, I'm going to start with Patreon and I'm going to, and I'm going to keep it positive and not taper off to the point where I'm just like, uh, don't even go on the Patreon page, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we can revise that pitch again. So yeah. yes, Patreon, Andy. We've got a Patreon page! Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, and uh, yeah it's all it's all go over there we've got some content coming this week it's going to be a hit we've also got some other cool content coming in the next little while it requires a fair amount of legwork but me and mitch are working on that right now uh, yeah. But yeah, take a look. We're going to be revising the tiers a little bit to make them a bit more sensible. Yeah, we're just gonna like we're gonna just kind of like sand down the corners on it a little bit. Uh, we'll let you know when we do that, so you can take a look. Yeah, you're not going to be asked to pay any more money. No, but like if you want to just take a look, see what you're getting exactly, kind of to the letter. We'll give you the option to do that, of course. Yeah. Also, if you want to support us for free, there's loads of ways you can do that. You can rate, review, subscribe on your platform of choice, wherever you get your podcasts, we're everywhere. Yeah, and you can jump just onto your social media or whatever and just drop us a little tag in something and just say, listen, see these guys? They can occasionally be quite funny. Yeah, absolutely. And a fair few people doing that over the last little while as well, which we really appreciate. Yeah, thank you so much. Like, it's it's nice to hear that what we do and we say maybe brings a smile to some people's faces. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's always a little bit edifying to know that that is going on. Also, um, Andy, we have a YouTube channel that you have been working tirelessly on over the last little while. I haven't done anything since we mentioned it on the minisode, I have to be honest, because when it works, it's fine. When a naughty slam Podbean or a home and a podcast provider... Uh, but when their exporter thing crashes, which is frequent as fuck, by the way, right. it's an absolute bollock to delete off an episode and put the episode back up again. So, Podbean, if you're listening, get that fixed. That aside, we do love you. And yeah, um, we're kind of slowly building up a bank of the main episodes um, reappearing on the YouTube channel. So the first 15 are up there now. Yeah, that's right. However, all of this aside, we are back on Monday in the main feed, so another mini-sode. We will be playing Mitch's Pitches. We will be taking a look at your feedback. I am really hoping that some of you all get in touch about Snakes on a Plane. I want to know how this goes for you guys, too. Uh, Nature will continue to go wild under Andy's rigorous supervision. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about what we've been watching and letting you know everything you need to know for next week. I might just do Snakes on a Plane for my Nature's Gone Wild. That does feel like low-hanging fruit, but I suppose it does qualify. Yeah, it does. It's not against the rules of the game, but it's not in the spirit of it. Yeah, it's frowned upon. We are back this Monday with another mini so Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.